So, we are on the finishing part of a long journey. And it started back in 2017. We started the study, Jesus. And the way it came to be is I was praying and thinking about what the next theme would be for the upcoming ladies Bible study. And we had gone through some books in the Bible. Um, and I was praying about doing a character study. As an English teacher, I really love looking at characters and, and looking at, at the Bible in, in that way also, like analyzing it, seeing how rich the storyline and, and how the themes overlap. So I really wanted to study a character, an individual, a historical person from the Bible. And it was on my heart, I'm like, what better person to study than Jesus? Like, that's it. There's no one better. If we're able to learn from him, learn from his character, his heart, like, that's the whole point, right? Christians, Christ-like. And um, the Lord started just putting together this outline of Jesus, the God who was and is and is to come. And so back in 2017, in the fall, we looked at Jesus, the God who was. And it was how the Old Testament points to Christ. The first lesson, we looked at Jesus as creator. Then we looked at him as our tree of life, the sacrificial lamb, the angel of the Lord. On the night, much like tonight, the welcome back, the theme was that he is the light of the world. He is the cornerstone and stumbling stone, the temple where we can experience the presence of God. Jesus is the mighty one, the one who is foretold. And we finished up that study looking at the heart of Christ. Then we took a year off that theme. And in 2019, we looked at Jesus, the God who is. So studying specifically in the Gospels, we started looking at the beloved son, we looked at the fact that he is the son of man, friend of sinners, savior of the world, Raboni. That means teacher. He is the greatest gift. He is our deliverer, servant of all. Then we had two studies where we looked at the I am statements of Christ, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life, the light of the world. I am the door, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we wrapped up that study looking at the fact that he is the bridegroom who's promising to come again for us, his bride. Now fast forward, or rewind, depending on how you're looking at this time scene, to 2021, where we started looking at Jesus, the God who is to come, and his promise to return, and we picked up right where he left his ministry on earth, at the ascension. So we looked at Jesus as the one who has ascended on high. He's the second person in the Trinity, the Prince of Life, the Just One, and today we find ourselves looking at the Coming One. Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. Sneak peek, next time we'll look at the fact that he's the Lord of all, and the time after that we'll look at the fact that he is the head of the church. So I just started looking at this list of names, um, all explaining different roles of who Jesus is. And I was also reminded of the verse that God has given me for this year. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but um, 
every now and then, I can't say it's every year of my Christian walk, but there's some years more than others that the Lord puts like a verse for that year on my heart. And my verse this year is from 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5, and it talks about the fact that our sufficiency is not in ourselves for us to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And I thought, wow, you look at this list and it's true. Jesus is sufficient. He's sufficient for the troubles you're facing, the worries, the concerns. He's sufficient for whatever decisions you have, for whatever difficulties your family may be facing. Um, he's sufficient for those promises that you're waiting for, their fulfillment. He is sufficient for the joys and the sadness. Another verse in 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, verse 8 reads, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. That word sufficiency, the first definition um, of the way it's used in the Bible is this, a perfect condition of life. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> of course you would have that sense of, you know, sufficiency. A perfect condition of life in which no aid or support is needed. I'm like, oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> the second definition, I think, is a little bit more grounded in reality for us. Sufficiency of the necessities of life. And I think we've all seen the faithfulness of God in that way, right? The, the necessities of life have been taken care of for us. And then the last one, it's more the heart that is up to us, right? So here the word sufficiency can also mean a mind contented with its lot. A mindset that is contented with its lot. In other words, contentment having all sufficiency, not necessarily a promise of a perfect life. Yes, the Lord promises to provide all that we need for life, but it goes deeper than that, to a mindset that is content. William Barclay, he's um, a Scottish preacher. He had this to say of that ancient word that's used there for sufficiency. By it, they meant a complete self-sufficiency, they meant a frame of mind which was completely independent of all outward things and which carried the secret of happiness within itself. Contentment never comes from the possession of external things. And my sisters, that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at this word contentment. This same Greek word, which I believe is pronounced Astarchia, but I don't know. I'm just going to go with that, um, which is that word sufficiency in 2 Corinthians 9 is the same word for content in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you would turn with me there in your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's towards the end of the Bible in the New Testament, and all the T-letter books are in alphabetical order. So once you hit Thessalonians, you'll find Timothy. If you find Titus, you went too far. So you want to head to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, and it reads, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. So contentment, why is this important? Why are we taking the time out of our busy week and our schedule to look at contentment? 
Well, the first thing contentment does is that it guards us from temptation. It guards us from temptation. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll read again verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Ladies, contentment is important that we might guard ourselves from temptation. What a sad testimony these men and women had. Refusing to be content with the things of the Lord, they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It wasn't that circumstances in their life didn't work out. It wasn't about the difficulties or the outward trials, but they themselves brought harm, brought sorrows because of their lack of contentment. Warren Wiersbe says, contentment is not escape from the battle, but rather an abiding peace and confidence in the midst of the battle. Contentment is not escape from the ba battle, but rather an abiding peace and confidence in the midst of the battle. So the first reason we need to look at contentment is because we need to guard ourselves from this temptation. The second thing contentment does for us is provide an abundance of good works. Abundance of good works. For this, we're going to head back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where we looked at that verse uh, that God is able to make us sufficient in all things. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this time we'll pick up in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Verse 9, as it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. John Trapp has this to say about the verse. The apostle uses many alls on purpose to cross and confute our covetousness who are apt to think we have never enough. That's the tendency of our hearts, to think that we never have enough. But ladies, if we turn to Jesus, our God who is to come, we realize this promise is for us and it's for today that he has all grace abounding toward us, that we can have sufficiency in all things to abound in every good work. Ladies, this promise means that the Lord not only has enough for your life and for your godliness, but to use you also in the lives of others. 
what an amazing thing that he would want to use us, right? Knowing our tendency towards covetousness, knowing our tendency to not be satisfied, to not be happy, and yet he desires to make all his grace abound in us that we might be a blessing to others in every good work. I think the context of this verse is so interesting as Paul's encouraging the church there in Corinth about tithing and giving. And I don't know about you, but sometimes um, my logic gets the best of me, right? So sometimes you kind of like argue your way out of like the right you know you're supposed to do because, well, you made it made sense to not do it. So that verse, right, let each one purpose in his heart not to give grudgingly because God loves a cheerful giver. So sometimes when we're like grudgingly, we're like, well, I'm not going to give because God, you know, he wants a cheerful giver and I'm not super cheerful right now. So I'm just not going to give. And it's like, I don't think that's the point of the verse. I'm pretty sure the, the verse is not telling you that it's bad to give. It's telling you to fix your heart and then give. But again, my own logic, sometimes I'm like, well, I'm just going to, you know, cop out of doing this thing because my heart is not in the right place. No, that's not the right answer. Um, you know, sometimes um, if you've had a bad week and you're like, oh, I don't think I should go to Wednesday because blah, blah, blah. I got in a fight or I did this. It's like, no, you need to do the right thing. You need to go to church and let God deal with your heart. So it's just a little side note confession um, <laughs> that sometimes I need to deal with my heart and not stop doing the right thing because my heart is wrong, right? But like continue doing the right thing and when the Lord points out my wrong heart to surrender to him that he might fix it. All right, the third reason that we are looking at contentment and we need it so much in this generation, in this day and age, is because contentment increases spiritual fruit, right? So we talked about having an abundance of good work, but that work is not gonna be in vain. The Lord is going to add to that spiritual fruit, not just for the person you're ministering to, but in your own heart, in your own life. We can pick up there in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Verse 11, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but is also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them, and amen. In verse 14, and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Ladies, contentment not only guards us from temptation, it not only provides an abundance of good works, it also increases spiritual fruit. David Guzik on his commentary in this chapter says, with this kind of contentment, we can be the richest people in the world. A man might have the wealth of the richest man in the world, yet lack contentment. But if we have this contentment, 
it really does make us better off than the wealthiest people who don't have it. Contentment makes all the difference and will increase more in our spiritual righteousness, in our fruitfulness, as we learn to be content, to abound in thanksgiving. That is one step. If you want to grow in contentment, start giving thanks to God for the little things, for the big things, for everything. The last point we're going to look at tonight as to why contentment is important, we're going to jump now to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Contentment is important. It shows us that our needs are met and it helps us have our priorities set. So for the fourth point, it's needs met, priorities set. And we'll pick up in verse 11 from chapter 4 in the book of Philippians. Not that I speak in regard to need. Here Paul says, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Learning to be content, not speaking in regard to need. Our needs are met by our Heavenly Father, but we must have our priorities set. And that's what contentment does. It gives us that heavenly perspective. Instead of longing for material things, instead of longing for temporal things, not that there's anything wrong with them, but sometimes our priorities go askew when we're seeking to be fulfilled by those things rather than allowing the Lord to satisfy us. Great gain indeed, right? That's what our outline spells for us. G for guarding temptation, A, abundance of good works, I, increase in spiritual fruit, and N, needs met, priorities set. And as we look back again at that list of who Jesus is, right, that we went through at the beginning, is he not more than enough? Is he not more than enough? Um, I'm convicted because I know there are seasons and there are times where it's really hard to be content. And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, Alicia, that sounds great, but you don't understand the situation. You don't understand this prayer request. You don't understand the season that I'm in and how difficult it can be to be content. Maybe waiting for a prodigal to return, right? Maybe in, in the season of singleness, it could be tricky, right, to be content. Um, again, maybe in between jobs or waiting for promotion, you've been faithful at your workplace for so many years, and again, you get passed over and someone else gets promoted. And it could be extremely difficult to be content, maybe in the face of an illness. But again, my encouragement to you is not to grow impatient and turn to sinful things to be satisfied. Keep going to the Lord with that hurt. Keep going to the Lord with that need. Keep turning to Jesus with that desire. I think of um, David, right? The man after God's own heart. And when he fails, 
we see God's compassion and mercy even in the way Nathan comforts him. Um, he waits a year, right, giving the king a chance to repent, to make things right. He hasn't. He doesn't beat around the bush. You know, he, he talks directly to David. He gives him an illustration. He says to David, this is you. Like, you have done this. And in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 8, this is the Lord speaking through Nathan to David. He says, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And he says, and if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. And that correction always stops me dead in my tracks because it's not the wanting that God rebukes. It's the fact that you didn't trust him with that wanting, that we didn't turn to him in that hour of need. Here, God is saying, I would have given you more. Why didn't you come to me? Why didn't you trust me? It's not that David wanted more. It's that David wanted less. He wanted something else that was outside of God's will. C.S. Lewis, in his sermon, The Weight of Glory, says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promise of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because she cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And it might seem um, like a paradox to end a teaching on contentment with our desires not being strong enough, with our desires being too weak and too little. But if we find ourselves wanting those heavenly things, contentment will come. And as we grow in contentment, our desire for those heavenly things is going to increase and abound more and more. See, my friends, it's an either or. We can either allow the Lord to satisfy us and at the same time increase our desire for him, or we will be left unsatisfied by everything else. We must learn to be content, to give him thanks, to be reminded that this is not our home and that his return is so soon and he is coming to gather us together to be with him forever. My prayer for us tonight is that we would be so caught up in him that when the rapture comes and we're caught up to be with him, it's just the next step in the deepening of our relationship with the Lord. I'm going to pray and I'm going to encourage you if there is um, just like a longing of your soul, something that's been difficult to be content in, whether it's the season you're in or a promise that you're waiting for or a prodigal that hasn't come to their senses yet, don't leave without praying with someone, you know? It's okay to bring this desire to the Lord 
and in the safety of your sisters, we can pray together and ask the Lord to teach us to be content. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are our all-sufficient one. God, you didn't need us, and yet you chose to make man, to share your heart, to share your love. And Lord, when we messed up, you didn't need to redeem us, and yet you chose to. You chose to love us, to give us your son. And we're so thankful for that sacrifice. Jesus, would you forgive us for the times that we forget? That we forget how loved we are. When we try to turn to other things for our identity or our sufficiency. Lord, help us to come to you again and again to learn to be content in the victories of life, Lord, and in the difficulties. And I pray for each and every one of your daughters here. Lord, I thank you so much for them, their desire to um, come to Ladies Bible Study for this year, 2022. We thank you for the lessons that you will have us walk through together. And Lord, I just pray that you would teach them to be content in whatever season they find themselves in, Lord. Whether it's a beautiful season and um, they're glowing just with seeing your faithfulness and your presence. God, maybe they're going through a valley. And I just pray you would be their, their strong tower, Lord, that they can run to. We love you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So the next time we meet will be the fourth Tuesday of January. And have ready lesson six for today.